Welcome to the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. All right, Beat Navy. We're coming up on uh, this is this is a great time of the year to be a West Point uh, graduate, and also just for West Point in general because we're coming up on the Army Navy game, and we are ranked twenty three, which is pretty awesome uh, coming into our uh, big couple weeks here. And uh, coming back from Thanksgiving is always like it, it, it's it's uh, it's an exciting time. I mean, it sucks to be back. For, to up at West Point uh, following a great uh, Thanksgiving weekend, but you know you're looking forward to like a pretty simple week followed by Army Navy and then almost the end of the semester. So from this point forward, assuming that that you beat Navy, it could be a really uh, fast and a great time to be at the academy and a great time to be uh, a graduate of West Point. Um, and so this is a great so we're, so we're looking forward to uh, um, some exciting couple of weeks and, and I'm really looking forward to having our next guest on this podcast uh, tonight. Uh, his name is Ted Russ, our classmate, company, um, company Echo 4. And he is the author of a book called Spirit Mission, which uh, kind of chronicles our time at West Point. It talks about uh, some really um, exciting things that he did as a cadet and also as an officer. It kind of mixes fact and fiction. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the book and Kind of get caught up with our classmate uh, Ted Russ. So, Ted, are you there? I am. Right. Honored to be so. Absolutely. Well, well, we're honored to have you here. And also, not only is Ted a great author, he was profiled in uh, Soldier of Fortune magazine. Really? Wow. <laughs> That's right. That's an honor. Yeah, right. yeah. I found the article. So, uh, talk when, about what, what article? What year? What, what, what uh, was it published? It was a couple years ago. Well, it was, yeah, two years ago when the book came out. It was my. Uh, my teenage ambitions were realized when, when I was interviewed very briefly, extremely briefly, well, for the Soldier great. of Fortune that's uh, website. Yeah, that's a is a pretty pretty neat honor. So, in in the Soldier of Fortune magazine, I saw that there's an article of you stealing the goat. Who are the two other people? <laughs> who? He, well, we're going to hear all about this goat, Joe. There's some great stories. Yeah. He, he, this is the guy that stole the goat. You've heard a reference. Yes, yes, I have. He is the guy that stole the goat. Okay. So, uh, along, along with some some other of our classmates. Who's in that picture with you, Ted? So, that picture is Brian Clark and Jim Eisenhower. And Jim was actually uh, a year behind us. He was a cow at the time. Mm-hmm. Was he at, was he he, at Navy? He, he, was, he was not an exchange cadet was, I think is where you're going with that, but there oh. were several, uh, exchange cadets that were at Navy that were critical to helping us, you know, get it done. And they were friends. They were folks that Jim had known and Jim got us in contact to with, you know, when we ran into some difficulties finding the goat. So all in all, I think we had about, gosh, it's fuzzy, but I think we may, it must've been like 10, people um both first season cows that's well we're going to build up to this story i want to hear all about that but was that eisenhower with an i or eisenhower with an e it's, i think it's i-s-e-n yeah oh yeah, yeah he's yeah. still in he's still in i met him at the pentagon a few years oh, ago. oh yeah 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 he's full bird i think you know I, he'll get a star i have i have my suspicions he, yeah he's I think, a stud 
Yeah, he worked for um, Dempsey. He was in Dempsey's, uh, like, the little headshed there. Yeah, and I have a a funny story uh, about that relating to the the GOAT, you know, mission. It just shows you sort of how, um, you know, powerful it remains, that whole concept of the spirit mission. Because I think he was with Dempsey um, in Hawaii. And I, I maybe I'll get this half wrong, so that's my caveat for everything tonight. But I mm-hmm. think Bramlett retired there in Hawaii. He did, he definitely did. And yeah. I think, yeah, I think that uh, uh, they ran into Bramlett in the O Club, and Dempsey gave uh, Dempsey was talking with Bramlett, and Jim was avoiding them. But here, here now, full bird Colonel still feeling like he's going to get written up right by Bramlett. <laughs> um, and kind of hovering to the side, and I think Dempsey's like, hey, Jim, get over here, get over here, hey. You know, Bramlett, I don't remember Bramlett's first name. Jim was a cadet when you were the comm. Oh, great, you know, Bramlett's shaking his hand, and Jim stole the goat, and he said Bramlett's face, like, went from, <laughs> hey, smiling to this absolutely stone face. Right. He's like, yeah, we're not fucking, we're not fucking talking about that today. Right. Like, turned around <laughs> and bar <barstool. laughs> Well, if you... So, if you listen to last week's podcast, actually, Becky uh, Canis Marciata knew General Bramlett. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that one so that's yeah. that's why I was able to say like so quickly, like, oh yeah, he's in Florida because she mentioned it and she she stayed in touch with him and uh, his wife for for quite some time. So that's how I I know that connection. But yeah, I was he's a, he's a great guy. You know, I tried uh, last year. I think yeah, I think it was last year. Doug McCormick asked me to sign a, a copy of Spirit Mission for mm-hmm. General General Bramlett. And um, I was happy to do so, but I said, hey, Doug, you know, I got the impression he wasn't, like, that thrilled about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, uh, and I never heard back, so yeah, went over, like, a lead zeppelin, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I know that he retired in uh, in Hawaii, and um, and Eisenhower. If I had, I wish I had known about the story that Eisenhower was part of this whole thing, because I, I would have definitely mentioned it to him when I when I, when I was with him in the Pentagon. He actually wrote a pretty. He was part of writing a, a paper around this uh, sea of goodwill, which is this concept about you know how much longer can we uh, rely upon uh, the good good nature of of society to continue to support veterans and specifically nonprofits. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like the idea was that the sea of goodwill is out there. We not we're not sure how long it will be there before it dries up and. You know, to what extent, you know, are these nonprofit uh, charities like, you know, the uh, Wounded Warrior Project and whatever else, you know, how long are you able to float before uh, before the tide yeah. turns? So yeah. that was, it, it was kind of a harbinger of like what was going to happen. It was before the whole thing happened with Wounded Warrior Project. So this this is about four or five years ago. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he struck me as somebody that was definitely going places. And uh, I don't know where he is now, but in class of 92, I, I did get a chance to meet him. So, Ted... I am so psyched to have you on this on this uh, broadcast. I mean, I, you probably have heard me refer to you and your book a couple times in the previous podcast. Have you listened to the podcast? You, you you've listened to a few. You said, yeah, right? I have. yeah, for sure. I'm working my way. I'm working my way through. And I listened to a handful. The God Day one, of course. I think I heard Scotty Clemenson. And then when you had all the fellows that uh, is it Carlisle? Yeah, Everybody Carlisle. Is, yeah, that was a good time. Big handful. So. Yeah, I think you're doing a great service. You know, I picture them a hundred years from now cracking open a capsule with all your podcasts and sort of uh, 
you know, learning what it was like to be an old grad a hundred years ago. Well, that would certainly they certainly take you back when you're listening to them. Yeah, that would be neat. That would be neat. You know, I mean, that's that's uh, that's one of the that's one of the intentions. It's maybe a byproduct intention. The real the real intention is for us to raise awareness around our class gift and um you know our our goal to be the most generous class in the history of West Point um the most generous class has ever ever walked um the face of uh the earth or uh, walked on the on 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 the hallowed grounds of West Point the the most generous class ever has given uh to a 30 year gift is 88% and so we're trying to strive okay. to get to 91% and uh, so we're we're making good progress. I mean, we we have moved from fifty percent to start this year to fifty seven percent, around fifty percent percent right right now. Um, I hope we can get to sixty seven percent by the end of this year. So that means we're just trying to yeah. identify those people that have not given, and it doesn't matter how much they give, just give something. And the idea is that if we can give, if we can get everybody to give something. First of all, we have all the contacts updated with a with AOG. So if we need to reach out to people and we have them, they're all sort of valid recent contacts. But then we can also say we can fire for effect and say, okay, if we put out you know a message to 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 give to West Point, we're reaching you know all 892 of our classmates or 896 of our classmates, yeah. not just like 50 percent of them. So that's our intention, you know. And I know Company E4, you guys have really improved your game as well as uh, a lot of other classes. And so we're really going to push for the end of the year for, for that to happen. Um, we also want to be able and when to, is, you said, by, when is our 30th? I've been sitting here trying to do the math in my head. It's is it not, in, I guess two and a half years. Yeah. It's two and a half more years. It's like it's a little less than 30 months away. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's like, so it's not next fall. It's the following fall, I think is what it is. Uh, so it's, it's okay. like, like a little, little, little less than two years away, I think is what it is. Um, it's going to be in the fall. It's going to be like, you know, around one of the big football games. And so that'll yeah, be, uh, yeah. so yeah, I hope to be standing there with, uh, with, a and being able to make that claim, you know, out on the field and yeah, say, we're the I most, think you'll get that. Well, I'm confident. I think we will too. And, yeah. We're making great strides for it. And, you know, and the thing is too, like, um, I mean, our, our class gift is also a pretty monumental gift. I mean, we're giving to the army cyber center, and uh, and that is not some sort of like, you know, that's a very functional gift. It really matters in today's yeah. military against yeah. today's threats. And so, you know, not only is it a, not only is it great that we're able to get such participation, but it's also great that we're able to, uh, that we're able to give something that's so relevant. Um, so a, a, yeah. another a, another intention here is to remember our fallen classmates. Uh, and so they they can continue to live through our stories. And another another thing here is to be able to lift up our classmates where necessary, and also highlight achievements of our classmates. And on that point, I want to also just you know give a word of thanks. Uh, you know, our class president Scott Clemenson has a clear uh, cancer uh, um, uh, scan mm. this past week, which is awesome. That's great. He um, he was on the yeah. old grad podcast like you know eight weeks ago or so, Joe, and he was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, had emergency surgery. He has to go through some radiation and stuff, but so far cancer cancer free. So thank God for that, and uh, we're real great. happy. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. That's great. So, Scott also just mentioned the thirtieth reunion is in fall of twenty twenty one. Fall of twenty twenty one. Okay, so it's like three years from now. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. So we got we got time and meeting the goals of getting the ninety one percent, but I'd rather get there sooner rather than later. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, uh, and Scott's listening. So that's great. And Scott, we are 
delighted for you and your family. I'm sure it was a very special Thanksgiving for you guys. So, um, so, uh, so Ted, you grew up in Atlanta. That's where you're originally from. Yep, Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. And what made you uh, what made you want to go to West Point? What was the like? You know, what, what was your connection to the place? Oh, um, yeah, I hate it, but I think it was the movie Top Gun. I mean, oh I my god, pretty, no, uh, simple. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a pretty simple uh, wrestler kind of guy in high school, and you know, looking for a challenge, looking for a way to serve, etc. Thought Top Gun kicked ass. <laughs> Dad was into history. He talked about West Point. I got to West Point. I was like, wait a minute. No one flies shit here. <laughs> what <did I> do? <laughs> uh, so, paper airplanes. Have you yeah, have you yeah. recently rewatched Top Gun? That is the I have not. It is the cheesiest che- it, movie going. That's a compliment <laughs> for it, them. It is embarrassing. Yeah. I mean I remember seeing that I too. Heard they're, like, remaking, they're making a sequel to it. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, it was real interesting going to YouTube yeah. and watch the behind the scenes, the making of it. That yeah. was more interesting than the actual movies. <laughs> well, I know yeah. that that really did have a big lift for um, yeah. the Naval Academy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and for the Navy and the whole and that was like a big deal. So, but yeah. uh, so Top Gun, all right. Well, and, that's and one recruiting one, video. One dumbass for West Point. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you this: Was that accurate? To per- I I, I know nothing as far as the Navy's concerned. No. No. But it was it portrayed no, accurately, no, or was it fictional? There's almost nothing was accurate. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there a yeah. Top Gun Academy? I mean, is is? Oh yeah, yeah, there is, there okay. is, yeah, and it's in Miramar. Yeah, right. a, it, yeah. In fact, there's a hilarious. Speaking of YouTube, there's a hilarious supercut of all the military and aviation inaccuracies in Top Gun, where like it's one of those things where it shows a clip from the movie and a little subtitle saying, you know. This never happens, and you know if you try to do that, the aircraft would blow up or whatever. Right, yeah. right. It's, it's pretty funny. You know, I I find this too. Like all, like there's very few accurately accurate portrayals of the military in any Hollywood context whatsoever. Right. Um, you know, there's almost like like whenever you watch something like that, I have to turn it off. Like that guy, that's so stupid. Like the, uh, you know, there's. I, I'm trying to think. There was one thing that we thought was. There was one semi-accurate portrayal. Black Hawk Down, right? Was a sem- yeah. I, I thought anyway. Probably was. You probably know better than I would because there's so much of an aviation, you know, slant to that. But I felt like that was that was a little more. But anyway, yeah. uh, these movies are. Uh, I'm sure. Like, I mean, you probably see this, Joe. Like, you know, like any type of EMS thing, or you see cops, like, or lawyers, like, it's all made for. Me for TV, me for drama. It's it's just stupid. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's beefed up. I mean, yeah. you see, the classic one is in movies where someone is shot. Mm-hmm. Okay, they use what's called squibs, basically condoms filled with uh, fake blood, mm-hmm. and there's a small charge <laughs> that causes it to explode. Basically, what you would use with model rockets. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's how they discharge right. them. And when you're shot, you don't burst. You know, blood doesn't come. Unless you hit with like a fifty cal, you know, right. round, so uh, or a thirty cal, it's uh, it's not as it's portrayed. It's, yeah. it's for it's it's for the attention, you know. 
Well, Ted, Ted, um, I'm sure we're going to be going back and forth to the book. Cause the book is, I mean, the book is so great. I mean, I, I, I told you, I read the book. Uh, I read it on my Kindle, but I'm, I'm a, I'm more of an auditory, like you know, um, learner type mm-hmm. thing. So I, I download the audio book, and aside from the mispronunciations, I found it to be amazing, and it was great to listen to. Now, what's the title of the book? It's called Spirit. Well, it's called Spirit Mission. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate. It. I have to say. Um, I'm still in the phase where I'm shocked when I hear anybody's read it. So I appreciate <laughs> sincerely, uh, Jamie, you saying you read it, you liked it. I mean, I, it's weird these days. I look at it with a whole different view, but you know, like Netflix, I read is spending six billion dollars a year on producing their own content. You know, and and all of it. We're living in this renaissance of TV and. All the other distractions like Twitter, et cetera. It's a miracle anybody reads a book anytime, uh, much less something that I wrote. So thank you. Well, Matt Lewis, Matt, Matt Lewis just commented that his son has read Spirit Mission and loves it. And it makes for a great Christmas oh, present. Matt, thank you. Appreciate hearing that. That's huge. He also said his brother walked down the aisle uh, of his wedding, the Top Gun, the Top Gun theme. That that's pretty bad. <laughs> uh, Can't beat that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, by the way, I just, technology wise, we're good. We're on. We're on point tonight. But uh, last week we tried to do the audio and the, the video. video. Was yeah. this is great because now I've got the I got the live stream with Facebook, so I'm able to see people's comments, mm-hmm. and so we're able to react to those and. So it's good, you know. So I'm, I'm just also pointing out here. I'm seeing stuff from uh, from everybody live here on Facebook. So it's uh, I can I can pepper in any questions or comments you may have uh, for Ted um, about the book. So Ted, I mean, speaking of like Hollywood and kind of you know uh, having to um, ex- not exaggerate, but just kind of like uh, color certain um, stories or 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 to to make things more palatable for consumption. Did you have pressure for that with this book? I mean, did you find yourself having to embellish things or do anything to sort of like add to the story? I, you know, I definitely, well, first of all, I didn't get any pressure from my publisher or anybody like that. It was more just wanting to make sure that the story was held the reader's attention and that, um, you know, things I was trying to get across had a chance of getting across. But, I, you know, if on a spectrum of one to ten, I'd say most of the stuff that's in the book, if one is absolutely 100% accurate and ten is total fabrication, the book may get to three. You know, it's very close in, in some cases to what happened. Um now, no one's ever stolen a helicopter in a combat zone the way I wrote it. Like, that's a major plot element that's totally made up. Right. But how that air, how that air crew employs the aircraft and fights together, that's, you know, very accurate. Um, and then the, as far as the West Point story goes, you know, that was pretty... Um, there's a lot of... Uh, what I would call sort of fabrication in that story um, only because not everything happened to me. You know, I definitely used stories and things that I knew had happened to classmates. Um, but I think any, and one of the most 
gratifying things about the book for me has been, you know, graduates that read it um, have have thought that it struck true um, to what it's like to be a cadet, which is, I mean, our classmates, guys that graduated in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, you know, it's it's been fun to hear people say they think it sort of rings true with, with cadet life. Well, I'll tell you, for somebody who's class of 91, uh, not only does it ring true, but you begin to recognize some of the people because some of the stories, mm-hmm. I mean, I know a couple of the E4, uh, your, your E4 company mates and yeah. some real characters. Yeah. And I, they, 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 I, I, I knew, I just, I said, I know, I know this person, I know who this is, you know, it's, it's not the same name in the book, but I know who this is. And, uh, and then I knew some of the stories, but you said you also had some other objectives, uh, besides from just writing a book. And I mean, you, you started this book, you said in flight school, right? Or you began thinking about it in flight school, right? Yeah. Um, I, st- well, I was, uh, one of those dorky guys that kept a journal at, at West Point. I was too, by the and, way. And yeah. And going back and reading it, I don't know what your experience is. It is. It is horrible stuff to go back and read I, I what was going through our brains there. Exactly. I you know you know yeah. I had two objectives in my mind. One was getting drunk. The other one was uh, yeah, yeah t- taking care yeah. of my uh, desire to uh, <laughs> be with people from the opposite sex. You know that was it. So <laughs> yeah. So, but I did start trying to write a story when, when I got to flight school, flight school was about a year for us. Um, so by the time we graduated, I had about a hundred pages, of the story, you know, at the time I wanted to be this road trip thing. And you know, when you first graduate, you're, you're just digesting your West Point experience. And it's mm-hmm. like going through a car wreck, you know, and then little flashes of what happened were coming back to me. I don't know if anybody else felt like that, but, but then when I graduated flight school, they sent me to Germany and, you know, this was post cold war pre Bosnia Europe. Um, it was not hard duty. <laughs> it was very cool for, you know, guys that had been locked up at West Point for a while. So that's what it took the, the artistic angst out of my system. And, but I tried to keep it alive, tried to keep writing on it, you know, when I could through the years, uh, got out of the army, moved around a bunch for civilian jobs. And then when Anna and I, my wife, we moved back to Atlanta in 2012, we were unpacking boxes and I found about a hundred pages of manuscript. And it was on that nasty moldy, dot matrix printer paper. You remember the dot matrix? Exactly. Print it out and fold the sides of it and tear it all apart. So I sat down and read this sort of the core of the story and it read a lot like, you know, my journal. I mean, it was terrible. It was exactly what you would write when you were 21 and 22. I mean, it was awful, but it got the itch going again. So from, you know, at that point on, I had a day job, so I just said, hey, I'm going to try to write a page a day. And I think a couple of years later, I had a complete story, had a beginning, middle, and end. Um, and it was a disastrous thousand-page manuscript. 
Um, it was a huge, just a fat cow of a story, just huge. A thousand pages. And I remember actually, it was terrible. Yeah, a thousand pages. So and what actually, did you cut out? I, you know, like, like, well, I mean, first of all, you you said you had to like create some 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 fictional plot to which is like yeah. It basically it 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 fast it fast forwards to relatively present day, 2015, and the plot yeah. is that. A classmate or a company mate, like a, somebody a couple years older than us, is kidnapped, and his old buddies that they used to do that they used to do spirit missions with have to go and try to rescue this guy because this guy's a I think he was a DOD civilian he he was a civilian yeah. uh, contractor and like nobody was gonna nobody was gonna try to like uh, rescue this guy so it had to be his company mates from Company E four so that was the that's right. That that's and they kind of like and you go back and forth between present day, 2015, which is fictional, and the past, 1987 to 1991, which was you know telling the story about how you guys were all so tight and you did these spirit missions and you kind of got through West Point, you struggled through tough times together and got through everything. So, um, and so so that's kind of the that's kind of the arc of the book. Uh, you, you you mentioned to me on the on the pre-call that you had some other objectives aside from just telling the story and having like this kind of like commemorative, um, documentation of your time at West Point, but there were some other themes you wanted to bring out in this book, right? So so, some things about, about the military, some things about try to explain kind of the military civilian divide. So what were some of your, some of your ulterior objectives there? Yeah, for sure. So, I remember when I was a cadet, I hate the thing I hated the most interacting with civilians was the perception that we were all just a bunch of automatons, you know, because um, we all dressed the same, you know, lived a very regimented lifestyle. Um, so really in the book, I was trying to, for a civilian to read it, I wanted to dispel that notion that cadets and really the whole military are, are just automatons. And then actually, I think and still believe that um, you know, cadets of all stripes, VMI, wherever they are, and, and military folks are the least automatonic because, you know, in, in that culture, you have to own your decisions uh, 100% because the punishments are very, very clear and very severe in most cases. So, you know, it's not like the average fraternity dude drinking at age 19, like, it's a big deal. So I was trying to convey that. I also, you know, as I've grown older, I don't know about you, but it's, it's, I feel like the stakes, the personal stakes for one's honor are the most high when you're a West Point cadet. So your personal, the personal stake for being an honorable person is at its highest when your impact on the world is the least Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're living in this. And then as life goes on, the stakes for your personal honor seem to me to get less and less, Mm -hmm. even though the impact of that honor, um, becomes more and more. And we could cite all kinds of examples. Well, and there's a situation, right. And there's a situation in the book that there's a kind of like, it reaches a, I don't know what the right word is, like a like an inflection point or a, like a it, it, like the, it builds suspense. This thing where 
you know, the, the protagonist in a book is on CQ duty. And this is something I, I really, I was like, I was feeling this because I've been in a similar situation. You're on CQ duty, yeah. which is like you're in charge of the quarters. And so you are like, you're on duty. Like an officer on duty knows no one. This is one of the things that, that, that you're taught at West Point. Like you have got to be, you have to be kind of an automaton. You know, like if you, if you are charged with, it's kind of like being a, like a cop on duty. Like, like, you know, your brother-in-law may, may have just, you know, run through a, 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 a red light and he's drunk. Guess what? You got you to gotta right. enforce the law because so, you're on duty. And so the, uh, so the situation is that one of the buddies uh, basically blows posts and misses taps. And this is the same guy that covered up for the protagonist earlier in the summer when they were drunk and he didn't turn the kid in. So it kind of like owed him something, right. you know? And so, and so the protagonist is sitting there. He's on CQ duty, and central guard room calls and says, "Are you all right? Or is is everyone accounted for?" Yeah. And <laughs> right. and it's just a pop off answer. He's like, "All accounted for," and he hangs up. And he realizes that he re- he reported that everyone was accounted for when this one guy was not there yet, and he had just gotten off the area. He had just spent you know three months on the area, and he was out partying, and he was like. The, you know, he's like, you owe me, so I'm gonna basically, you know, I'm gonna basically call in that favor, and I'm gonna blow post, and you're gonna have to cover for me as a CQ. Right. And uh, so I, I kind of identify with that only because I had a, I had a very similar situation, not quite the same. Thankfully, thank God, not the same. Where yeah. <laughs> I was on CQ and I was going around checking the quarters, right? And uh, and I'm going around checking, 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 and everybody's good to go, right? And I pass our one classmate's uh, room, who shall remain nameless for this particular podcast, and um, and he's sleeping. So I was like, "All right, cool." But he's somebody that I would hang out with all the time, you know. So I I right. go and I, I I call in I call in the report, and uh, and I go back. To, so now it's after taps. So I'm I'm basically breaking the rules because I'm it's after taps it's like a Saturday night. So I'm just going to his room and hang out. So I go in his room and I sit on his bed to hit him like to wake him up. And it's freaking pillows. He stuffed the bed. Like, he's gone. Like, he he complete. I mean, this guy was a master. He could have been yeah. like a sculptor. I swear to God, it was like he was right there in the Like, he almost made this thing breathe. I think he had like a, he had like yeah. a technique for this thing to breathe. And I'm like, holy shit, he's right. not there. Like, he knew not to tell me because he knew I was on But I guess he just assumed that like, correctly assumed that I was going to fall for it, which I did, you know. And then I was like off right. duty. So I was like, all right, well. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I, it, exactly. And I, I'm telling you, I, to me, the, that dilemma of personal obligation, so your relationships with your comrades, um, the, when that comes in conflict with the institutional expectation or, or higher concept of virtue, that to me is the most excruciating time in, in a person's life. Big time. And, yeah, I submit that I don't think you get exposed to that except in that military academy environment at that age. Mm-hmm. You know, they were idiots, eight, 18, 19. Um, anyway. So well, if you listen, if, well, I mean, and you also, in the book, you, you talk about this, this issue of improper questions. You cannot ask somebody, hey, did you right. blow post or were you drinking unless you've got probable cause. And uh, if you listen to last week's, last week's podcast was with Becky, Becky Canis. Um, who is, you know, now an out, um, she's gay. She, she's married to a woman, 
Um, and she was discovering that her her identity back then when she was a cadet. And her TAC officer asked her directly, are you gay? And she had this like right. immediate dilemma. Like, if I say I'm gay, I'm out of... Because this is before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. She's like, I'm out. I'm, I'm out wow. of West Point. Yeah. And so, so, so she she talks last week. It was really as powerful talk was was like, and she said like the world's not any better because I mean the world's not any worse off because I graduated from West Point. In fact, I think it's better. Um, and so, right. but anyway, right. that was an improper question. That's what I told her. I was like, first of all, because I think she still carries with her a little bit of baggage. Like, hey, I lied, and I got through West Point, yeah. but she didn't yeah. really. I mean, whatever. I mean, Becky's like, she's probably one of our most accomplished classmates. Uh, Thank God she I graduated. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you're right, though. I but mean, at the same time, there's a. Go ahead. I'm well, sorry. I mean, you're right, though. It, it puts these kids in a really tough spot. I mean, and and uh, the stakes are very, very high for them. Um, and you know, obviously, you know, if you're if you're if you're in a life and death situation, you have to be able to count on somebody's you know <clears throat> honor. And she and she she talks about that too. Later later in the military, she was questioned by one of her soldiers. Hey, ma'am, are you gay? And she said, yes, I am. Because, like she said, this is somebody that I actually need to go to war with. I'm not going to lie to that person because I may need that person to also tell me, like, the unequivocal truth sometime. So, anyway, anyway, it, right. really, really interesting uh, perspective. No, it, 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 what's crazy is I don't know, and I don't want to get political on your podcast, but I do wonder, you know, like, mentoring um, and trying to teach cadets the honor code now, you know, when, uh, Petraeus, who I'm sure is a great guy, does what he does. Nothing kind of really happens to him. You got the president, uh, who probably wouldn't be able to be a cadet from breakfast to lunch. You know, <laughs> how do you keep instilling within them? No, this stuff's important. Yeah. I think it must be a crazy time for folks there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got, you're right. We are trying to stay, we're trying to stay as yeah, unpolitical wanna, as wanna, possible. Yeah. But I, I do, I do, I have to also. Want, I mean, the most, the most sort of challenging thing recently I think about is these five thousand people on the border and the southern border of the United States. You know, on this alleged sort of military, you know, um, uh, you know, this, this matter of national security, right? And it's like, come on, right? Right. right. Anyway, so let's. All right, let's, so I'll, I'll hard pivot. The other, yeah. the other thing that I think I was trying to bring out is. With everything we just talked about, getting heavy, you know, honor code, high stakes. But then also at West Point, there's this, and I think in the military in general, you know, I certainly remember it from the units I was in, there's this fascinating dichotomy of regimented, rule-bound environment that also, let's face it, encourages spirit missions and just being knucklehead, you know? Right. As long as you, when you do a spirit mission and you're caught three bags full, I'll take the punishment. Mm-hmm. Like you can get away with a ton of shit, yeah. you know, which I think is very interesting. And most, you know, again, the book was an ode to my classmates and my time there, but then also just, you know, it's hoping to provide a window to civilians to see that it's, you know, there's more there than, than dress gray and parades and, automatons you know definitely i think everybody everybody would agree with that so by the speaking of everybody we've got we've got 12 people that are actively listening in addition to a bunch of people that have come in and out uh from the podcast uh so brent crabtree paul pool naughty king matt lewis alex borselli um ray rolls <laughs> kate quinn 
uh, Paul Smolchak, Anthony Noto. I saw Kami Ayanako. Um, I mentioned Kami because I recognize that there's a character in the book. Her name was Emily. I said, like, that sounds a lot yeah. like Kami Ayanako. And, and you so said, let me just say, yeah, let me just say, I think, you know, none of the characters are based solely on any one individual. Of course. Um, yeah. And, you know, in fact, most of them are alchemies of a couple folks and then really in a weird way, um, how I've come to think about things later. So they're totally, you know, no one is just a, a character lifted. Um, having said that, there's a lot of Cammy in Emily. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of John Braga in Zach. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 uh, and Creighton, who's another big character. Creighton is like this totally like very mature, like mature beyond his years. Like, you know, has perspectives on, you know, uh, the profession of arms and the interaction with civilians and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah. and you say yeah. he, he's, he's loosely, he's loosely based on who are our classmates. Um, you know, Jack Petraka was a really good friend of mine, um, and figured strongly in, in sort of Creighton's makeup, but really there also, I would say that, that, uh, you know, Creighton to me had a lot of guys that I knew, um, both at West Point and in the military, and maybe you knew folks like this, I think. Um, and it's not just the military, I think, but you have these folks in your life, in your professional life, that um, are super sophisticated at work, so to speak, but then um, relationships with, with other people are sometimes uh, tougher for them, if that makes sense. So... You know, I knew I knew tons of folks when I was out in the army that were studs in the army, could debate, you know, um, the highest statesmen in the country on international affairs, and then just had the hardest time meeting women. You know, <laughs> uh, and I thought that was uh, anyway. Those are that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were uh, those are some great. Some it's just it's just an awesome. Awesome book, awesome story, and also I think what there are parts of it that you specifically were plug and play directly out of our cadet, our cadet experience. Like for instance, the food fight that we had when we were pleased. Yes. like that that was like yeah. directly out of like what happened. Crazy, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I tried to describe that like to my wife after that. Uh, you know, picture four thousand people in a mess hall. And you snap your fingers and every piece of food on every table is suddenly in the air. Mm -hmm. And the air is so thick with food and utensils that you can't, it's like, yeah, like, I remember at one point I couldn't see the other wall across the mess. It was crazy. So Joe, Joe, who's the owner of the radio station here, and it, it just shakes his head at these things. He's, you've heard about pillow fights of people getting hit over the head with books. Right. You've heard about... You know, somebody jumping off of a clock tower, ripping their finger off. Yeah. Heard, like these crazy, the this is yet crazy another, motorcycle rides. Crazy motorcycle rides. Yeah. So th- yeah. this is this yeah. is this is how you would relieve the tension. Like, and I don't know exactly what happened, but and it, like the, it was a tense time. It might have been like right before right before finals, or maybe during midterms or something. It was late. It was late. 
it was late first semester. I remember that. Right, right. I mean, because they basically suspended the entire class of, of 1988. Like, or, or they they basically put them all on restrictions. Yeah. They said, if you can't get, you know, like you firsties who are like in charge of the entire Corps of Cadets, this is like, this is unacceptable. But the reality of it was, every piece of food, every the, the entire mess hall, and Joe's looking at me like four thousand, yeah, four thousand all sit down at the same time to eat for for lunch and for dinner. So all four thousand were there and somehow it was like it was like a coordinated effort because all yeah six sort of wings of the mess hall erupted at the same time into just this, this massive food fight it was just like <laughs> unbelievable uh, you realize this is like worse than junior high like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah exactly. I'm, I'm listening to exactly. this and it's 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 now the these four thousand people, are these all firsties, as you're referring to, or is this... The entire, the entire core, it's all four classes. All four it's classes. Each class around 1,000, so it's 4,000, yeah. roughly. Man. Yeah. But it seems to me like it's more like a, I don't know, like, I want to say like a rite of passage or something that you do. Is this something, these events or these things that you do, or is this something that you do when you're... Well, it never happened again, because it was so bad, because it like, like... Uh, by the way, Matt Lewis is taking credit. He says he started it in first reg. He said he, he, <laughs> in, in, yeah. Good no, on you, Matt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, no, it, it, um, we, it, it, we didn't make a t-shirt, you know, like, uh, you know, Han Solo shot first. <laughs> yeah. Matt Lewis threw food first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember going back, I was hungry. Because, you know, you're plea, you're not eating that much. I was like, shit. And I had, we, I think we had to like pull our money to get a pizza that night. Yeah, all like, these no people food. are walking out going, you know what? what I'm, a just, way- I'm starved. It I threw away my food. I mean, how much, <laughs> what does it cost to feed the Corps of Cadets a meal? It's got to be yeah. in the tens of thousands of dollars that we just like completely pissed away. Talk about well, like, I have this. I have this vague memory that, that there was damage done to the the history of warfare mural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget which wing that was on, but right. I thought that that was in my foggy recollection. That's part of the reason for the wrath of the administration was that the mural was damaged. You know, fourteen pies hit Washington. You know, something. Well, what was what was the food? For? I have to ask this. What kind of food was? It's just like a dinner. It's like whatever. It was like Salisbury steak or something. Oh, okay, it's like so, some yeah. normal, yeah. just a treat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But real food, but also, but also. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> silver water pitchers, pie pans, plates, yeah. everything. Also, oh, everything was being I mean, some guys. Some people, yeah, people got hurt. Yeah, really. Yeah, damn. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. It was. You it was. Be insane. proud. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the fun I missed by not going into the Air Force. Yeah. You know. So. so <laughs> right. So Ted, as I told you, we would we would not have a shortage of things to talk about, and the time would go by so fast. No, so we, we've no. been on for om, over forty, almost yeah, forty five minutes. minutes right yeah, now. Yeah. So well, we got to we so we can make sure that I want to write down stuff. Sorry, forty five minutes. I so. want to make sure that I don't miss something because we got to talk about stealing the goat. The whole sort of play by play of stealing the goat. Have to talk about that. We have to talk about uh, flight school. Make sure I don't miss that. All right, Matt Lewis just mentioned BSOBG. What is that? I don't know what that is. Oh, BSOBG. What is that? I don't know what that is. I don't have my glasses. Oh, be straight or be gone. I had some bullshit stuff from oh, yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure if it was relevant to the goat. No, no, no. So he was at Matt Lewis's and Company A1 that was supposedly like the most sort of like whatever strack group or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, they, they have some, they had some, definitely had some yeah. accomplished people. And I will, I will admit they're all, they are also leading the way in our class giving. So 
good on company A1. Be sure to be gone. <laughs> they're like at 70%. So that's, that's not bad for those guys, you know? Yeah. They're not quite as good as that's company right. F1, but they're they're good. So, but anyway, so I, I want, uh, we got to talk about flight school. We got to talk about, we got to talk about. Talk about flight school because I, I, I got to make a phone call. I don't want to miss the goat thing. So. All right. All right. So we'll talk, <laughs> let's talk about flight school then. And then we'll, when you come back, we'll talk about the goat, right, right, Joe? Awesome. All right. So flight school. Tell me about flight school. You said this is like, it was like insanity, right? Like flight school. G- give me the yeah, rundown. Flight school was pr- well, flight school was pretty cool. I mean, picture your your job is to learn how to fly a helicopter. So after you go through, as I recall, we had to go through like some basic army officer stuff, which was you know camo and mud and sleeping in the in the rain to get to the flight school part. But then once you got there, you know, for whatever it was, six, nine months, you wear a flight suit, you know, you wear Ray-Bans, you strap on a big machine and, uh, yeah, like nicknames for each other, like goose, like, like, and Maverick and all the, all the top gun shit you got. No, but in, in, in typical army fashion, you know, the, they add a certain, um, you know, romper room progress through the wickets aspect to it that that looks stupid from afar, but acquires some certain amount of status. So, like every flight, every section of the flight school had a certain color hat. I think I was a yellow hat. So, first, you know, you get your yellow hat. That means you're like in flight school. But then you get your yellow hat with wings on it, which means you've soloed. So you've survived flying a, a helicopter on your own. And then you realize that the colored hats are stupid and you're actually a dork cause you're not in a transition, which is like black Hawk, Chinook. You're not learning your real aircraft. When you start doing that, you get your, you know, you're able to wear the camouflage hat. So it's just the whole, the whole thing, which I, in retrospect to me about cadet life is so fun. You know, first you're a beaner mm-hmm. at B you're wearing the gray hat. Then you get the white hat, you know. Then you realize your epilepsy are blank. Then you, so you're progressing through the whole it, thing. It but, was gamification. It's like yeah, human, it's like human human nature. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But you pan back from that. It was it was a great time because we all, you know, you just got out of West Point. You rent. You go off. You live off post. You rent this house. Nick, I was living with Scott Fight. Jason Brocky and Jeff Weber, you know, we rented this house out in off Fort Rucker. And then a bunch of us, about 10 of us rented a place in Panama city beach for the year. Um, and so, so spent every weekend, there. how long, was, how, yes. how long, how long into play school do you guys realize we're close enough to Panama City that we can rent the place and have like our own. Like, uh, is it like a few months in, or did somebody like do their research before they got down there and said, "Hey, we're getting this thing before we even show yeah. up"? It was like a nanosecond, as I recall. Like, uh, I remember having a very serious war council. It's someone like, "Hey, guys, you realize, you know, I found a sweet pad. It's a one-one. <laughs> the carpet's only ten years old. You know." <laughs> And it's only a thousand dollars. If we all chip in a hundred bucks a month, we can be players down in Panama. It was ridiculous. Really, it was great. It was fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of fond memories. You know, I know you and I talked. A lot of fond memories of uh, Tommy McTeague down there in that time. Right. Um, yeah, because he was such a. 
he was such a God, what's the, I don't even know the word, but he was just so confident and happy. That, and mm-hmm. he would walk around the beach, that, you, you know, in just his bathing suit, but but he'd wear a red bandana on his hat, like do-rag style. Right. Uh, and he'd have, he'd have, like, a beer in his hand. He'd walk by girls and say, hey, Tommy McTeague, gun pilot. <laughs> you know, he, was, he was going through the, he was flying Cobras, Cobras, you know. Right. Yeah, Tommy McTeague, gun pilot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Good time. John Keenan was telling me a story about him singing uh, "Born to Run," that he was actually a singer. I, I somehow I kind of remember this, but I don't know if that when we were cadets or if, like he he could actually sing. I think Tommy McTeague. Yeah, I can't vouch for that, but yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, yeah. Flight school. The it was you know ends up being about a year by the time you get out of there, as I recall, and then we all headed off to our first units, which was well behind, as you know all of our classmates. Right. You guys have been out there for, for a while by that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of like tax on an extra year of the commitment. And you know, you're you, like, you're, I guess you don't also, you also don't get to pick your post at West point. I think, right. You're just basically, no, you, to- you got to Yeah. You go through the, the wickets at flight school and then, you know, it's like everything else. Flight school, you learn, you know, you, you're a first year at West Point, you branch aviation, you can't wait to go to flight school and get qualified as a helicopter pilot. And then you go through flight school and you realize, basically, I now have a license to learn and be bossed around. No, flight school doesn't mean shit. You know, you, the Army, it's that constant uh, gaining the qualification, gaining the experience, getting the next job, you, you know, for which... You now have to prove yourself all over again. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what we're gonna we're, we're gonna hear about this next week. I don't know if that changes ever because uh, our classmate Brigadier General Amuso George is going to be on the podcast next week. And I've been trying to. Oh wow! I, he's my he's my roommate. He's I uh, but it, it, I I am so excited to be able to talk to him. But we've been trying to set this thing up. He's oh no I I can't do that week that you know the. The, the the three star wants me to come and I got to do this because right, he, he doesn't right. want to do it and the two star just called me in on so what happens is like you're everybody's little bitch when you're like the one star yeah. <laughs> you yeah. get called in at the last yeah. minute like the two stars like listen I I'm gonna go to my kids whatever like uh, soccer game or some shit so you got to cover on this other thing so he is getting bounced around like a like a plebe. You know, it doesn't even have his yeah. control of his schedule. So I, I'm looking forward to hear. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear him next week because I'm supposed to be uh, at his house doing it. But it should be interesting. Well, it's funny, you know. I remember um, being told I don't know by who, but it was a, a senior officer when I was a firsty, and I was I was really ready to be out of West Point, and he just looked at me and said, "You know, Russ, I hate to tell you this, but you're never going to have as high a rank." as you have now, the highest as a rank in the U.S. Army is a West Point firstie. Oh, now, yeah. Back, <laughs> it of, might be true. kind of true because you, you rule that place like, like you know, with a you really are in charge there. And then also, everybody kind of wants to be around you. You know, the senior officers, and they want to take your measure and see what the cadets think, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, you also represent the Corps, so it's funny. That's my big joke. I said, you know how a firstie screws in a light bulb? He just holds it, and the world revolves around him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Yeah, those were good times. But yeah, so so then yeah. so who were some other uh, celebrities down there at flight school? Was was like was the entire class from West Point in one like group, or were there like multiple OBC starting times? Oh no, there was, there was multiple times. Okay, um, as, I, as I recall, it was sort of a I think I don't know three to six months maybe we all cycled in, mm-hmm. um, and we were. Gosh, you know, it's fuzzy, but as I recall, maybe a third of the class and the rest were, um, you know, rocky guys. So mm-hmm. it was, and we got, you know, I'm still tight with some of the, the guys that I went to flight school with that were, you know, ROTC guys. That was our first, you know, when you first start hanging out with ROTC guys after you graduate, you, you know, what's this all about? You know, what, what's he like? But, uh, yeah, so it was, it was not a, not a mono, not a mono culture there, for sure. I'm looking for a section of the of the book. I actually, I have I have the book in addition to downloading it here. I got to find it. You, uh, I love that. You bought it twice. I bought it twice. Yeah, you know, we we, you know, we, <laughs> we should also talk before Joe comes in here too about the economics of of writing this book. I mean, do you make money on this thing? Is this thing like a? Is this thing like? Like, what does this mean for you in terms of the economics, having a book like this out there? Like, when I bought the book for 14 bucks, how much of it do you see? (laughs) Yeah, the economics are not great being an author, I have to say, unless you're, you know, you make Oprah's book list or are, you know, have, as they would call it today, a platform or some degree of celebrity. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not, um, I'm trying to think how I would describe it. It's just... Like I was saying at the very beginning, it's just so hard to cut through. Mm-hmm. So I, I was going to self-publish, but through a, a chain of events, ended up getting it, it got picked up by a publisher. So I got a, a decent what they call a fault an advance, uh, an advance on royalties, which is they they pay you, and then you don't get another dime until you've earned out. And, and I think sort of the industry standard is fifteen uh, percent of hard copy. And I want to say 20, I have to go back and look, I think it's 25% of eBooks, but you know, all the accounting and how they track it is stacked in the favor of the publisher. So it takes a while to earn out that advance. Right. Um, and then, but once you earn it out, then you're, you make, you know, so, if, so have you earned out you you... a hard copy for, a, I have not earned out yet. Okay. So, um, where's the break even? How many, how many copies you need to sell? I'm not sure. I think I want to say like ten thousand. Okay. And then I got a pretty decent uh, advance. I was really pleased with the first time offer, but as a result, mm-hmm. you know, I got a little bit of a a hill to climb to earn it out. But like a, you know, it's kind of lightning in a bottle to sell more than a couple thousand copies. Right. Um. So, but you know, as you and I discussed, it, it wasn't why. You know, for me, yeah, you weren't writing this uh, book to be to to, to become rich. Yeah, meaning, just, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be thrilled with that, but right, um, it was more of a, I don't know, just a little passion project. Yeah, I mean, I think also, I mean, obviously, you're a great writer, and I think you know, 
uh, we also mentioned on the pre-call, you're, you're a philosophy major, so you think a lot about like these kind of heavy duty yeah. things. And, and I remember you and I were in the same philosophy class when we were, whatever year that was, we took that, like plebes or yearlings, like the first philosophy class yeah. where you were, where you were yeah. just beginning yeah. to feel like, hey, this is something that I really enjoy. And I could tell, like, you lit up. You were like the guy leading that class with all these, like, you know, really deep observations about things or whatever. But one of these deep, one of these deep observations I really like here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this from the book. This is where the, the protagonist Avery is having a conversation with a sponsor, and a sponsor is this colonel who has like this perspective on things, like you mentioned about like the highest rank you'll ever have is, is being a firsty. And he's saying to him, like, right before they, I think it's around yearling year. He says, "I'm sure you don't know this right now, but trust me." It's like all of your DNA has been spliced with all of your classmates. At this point, there's only about 2% difference between any one of you, even between the best and the worst cadets. Right now, that 2% makes all the difference. It causes friction. It's all you guys focus on while you swim around, chafing each other in the fishbowl. After you graduate, it's that 98% commonality that you will seek out. For the rest of your life, long after you take your uniform off, you will feel more at ease, more understood by other old grads than anyone else in your life. All that rubbing will be distant memories. That's deep. That is like some deep shit. Like that. That's that's got that's like Ted Ross yearling year, you know, or plebe year with you know philosophy. But it's true. I think you know, like yeah, the yeah. The, 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 I mean, oh, it is true. yeah, yeah. You don't. You don't. Uh, it, there's. And, you know, I was the kind of guy that when I drove off of West Point, like, I was really, I never wanted to see it again. I was, I was ready to move on. And as life goes on, you, you know, you find yourself, or I find myself, more appreciative, uh, more drawn to, um, and really more in awe of my classmates and the folks that I was there with. Um, so it's, you know, I, that stuff I wrote, I really, I really believe. You know, the interesting thing too, you also talk, and another, I can't find the direct quote, but I, I remember it jumped out at me. You were, you were describing the conversations or you're looking at the relationship between Zach, who's, you know, very influenced on John Braga, uh, you, which, or, or Avery, this guy, Bill, who was like this kind of like always living on the edge, kind of troublemaker, you know, causing, causing a lot of problems. And Creighton, who was like that kind of, you know, super mature um, and um, analytical type person. And your point was that you said, in no other situation would all four of us be the best friends like we are right now. Like the West Point yeah. puts these four unique personalities together and makes them the best of friends. And that would never happen. Yeah, and I remember, else. yeah. And it, uh, I think I tried also to, to sort of illuminate an event in the book that, that I remember very well, you know, Pete Gauday was in E4 and he would always take us down to his place as a sort of escape valve. And his parents were like the adopted parents of, of E4. And we, I don't remember when it was, we got our first time away. Um, you know, I want to say uh, it was October-ish or something like that. And, you know, it was like the first time we got to put on civilian clothes and we all, the first time you saw this other person that was for the past numerous months, just a sweaty human wearing camouflage and then dress gray every day. And then suddenly they're in their civilian clothes, you know, and we're all wearing things that 
in civilian life would have clothed us in a way we would never have even tried to talk to the other person. You know, we had a punker, J. Crew guy, you know, motorcycle guy, uh, whatever. Uh, but it all it caused was like, you know, five minutes of making fun of each other, and then it was forgotten. We never really noticed what each other was wearing, which I think, um, gosh, rare back then and probably even more rare than these days, you know? Um, right. So anyway. Yeah, well, and, thank God, and thank God for that, too, right? You, so then your point is that, like, had you all gone to Penn State, you wouldn't have known these guys. You would have known a bunch of other, no. yeah. like, Ted, yeah. Ted Russ-looking, yeah. Ted Russ-thinking people as opposed to this, exactly. you know, this cauldron that kind of puts you all together in this thing. I think about that, especially with, with Amuso George, who's my roommate and one of my best friends to this day. Like, probably very unlikely that he and I would be the best of friends that we were at West Point. Um, and it just, it, thank God for West Point, because, and thank God for that relationship, which is, you know, really kind of influenced me throughout my life. So, um, so Joe, yeah. we're down to how yeah. much time? Thirty minutes left. See, this just goes by so fast. So we've got to talk Amazing. about stealing yeah. the damn yeah. goat. The goat, which is the seminal sort of uh, focus of this book. So the goat <laughs> is the yeah. is the navy mascot. I'm I'm telling Joe this. Everybody on the, on the podcast knows this. And so you guys came up with this idea to steal the navy goat in your cow year, right? And and it was it, in the book. It was inspired by an upperclassman, this guy Guru, who was like this, you know, living on the edge guy, barely squeaked out of West Point. Um, is that right, true? Right. Did you get influenced by some upperclassmen saying, Hey, you guys got to do this. You got to do this for me. Or you guys came up with the idea yourselves or what happened there? No, it, it, E4 was, um, I, I tell people I'm convinced E4 was a lot of the reason that West Point went back to the scramble. Cause like by the time I got there, it was, it had a pretty hardcore counterculture, um, vibe to it mm -hmm. and the upperclassmen and, and in the book one of the things i dial up is definitely the the rarity of stealing the navy goat you know the truth is it's not it probably happens every five or ten years i guess no i think about last year like the soup himself stole it which yeah. I, I still don't understand like uh in the video yeah. i'm trying to figure out how i how i feel about that <laughs> you know? right but uh anyway it, it stole it's stolen, you know, multiple times, and it was stolen by when we were pleased. It was stolen by the guys that were cows when we were there. Uh, but the same thing happened to them. They they were squeezed and were not able to get it to the game. And and we thought that stealing Navy goat and and ma maintaining control of it and getting it to the game in Philadelphia and turning it over there would be the like the highest possible achievement. So. Mm -hmm. Um, but to answer your question, we definitely at West Point at uh, E4 had this, a group of upperclassmen that were um, very influential. And I have to say, you know, that that also is one of the themes I think in the book that there's this, you know, in a place like West Point or any anywhere where there's really a, a intellectually regimented culture or or a very strong uh, influence or uh, idea of what is right. You know, anytime there's a um, someone that has the courage to not fully accept that and actually be a, well, I'm going to be 
that's fine, but I think this is the right thing. That's very, I don't know, at the time I found it a very potent charisma about that. Someone that has the courage to stand up in that context and say, okay, I'm going to get a lot of trouble, but I believe this. Uh, you know, so we had a lot of that element at, at E4 at play mm-hmm. at that time. And I think it just, it made a big influence on a, on a core group of us. So when we got to be cows, we started planning. Um, and by the time we were seniors, we were, you know, determined and, um, so when did you actually steal yeah, the goat? It, yeah, I mean, you got you got probably around this time, right? You, you didn't have it for you got it like right around right around Thanksgiving we, weekend. We got it just before Thanksgiving, as I recall, because we wanted to have the benefit of the holiday. Um, and then I want to say that for us, the game was if it, I want for some reason I think it was two weeks after Thanksgiving, but I don't totally remember. But we wanted to we knew that once we got it, there would be a huge amount of pressure to get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why in, in the buildup, you know, what the book says is kind of true. You know, we, we show we only people that could take a, a big first hit. class board, a major, a major slug. Um, so easy Pete know, was were, out. We're sort of on. easy Pete was yeah. out. Andy Ulrich was <laughs> out, right? Those guys were yeah. already like, you yeah. know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But easy Pete, you know, something that I wrote in the book actually happened. Like when they heard that, um, I'm trying to remember the goat had been stolen, mm-hmm. uh, and that E4 was coming up on the, on the radar on the short list. Uh, yeah. Our tech went and talked to Pete like directly. It's like, do you know anything about this? And Pete had not been involved. He's like, no, I don't know anything about it. And he walked back to formation and talked and spoke with Ron Baumkamp. Right, you know Ron, another E four guy right. who had not been been involved, and immediately after formation, the tack was all over. It's like anywhere Pete went, the tack was all over the guys that he was talking to. So Pete was actually a great diversion for us. Mm-hmm. No, wait, I have to ask this question because what I'm visualizing here is Ted hanging from like a zip line in a black leotard. Stealing this goat? No, yeah, yeah. So, so like, yeah. I, 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 so, so they, they found. So we had we had somebody down at Naval Academy that knew where the goat was. I think you guys somehow you figured out where the goat was kept after the games, right? So you you found yeah. out where the goat and the was. Guys at the exchange to that guy's health, and so we all left post on a Friday and signed out. I forget where we signed out to, uh, but at that time that was a big deal, right? So we actually signed out to. Now that I think about it, I think it was Brian Clark's parents or something that were in Pennsylvania near where the goat was. Um, there, was a, there was a Navy home game that Saturday, and so we hit it midnight after the home game. Um, and it's at a dairy farm not far from, from Annapolis. And the goat, we, we had done all this reconnaissance and study when we got there all the fields and pens we thought it was going to be in was were empty is it just one goat uh, or there's multiple goats there's only one so, official name but they probably have a couple of them right or how's it work yeah they ha- they have a couple but when we broke into the this building there was only one in there okay so there's this one within the field there was uh this building that was locked um, and picture a, when I say building, not a big, like a, um, you know, not much bigger than an outhouse, like mm-hmm. a, tent. a shed. Yeah. 
He's like, all right. And we had been on site for like an hour. We were starting to get real nervous. So who's there? there? So like a roving guard. Who's who's there? Who's there? You got you, Brian Clark, yeah, Eisenhower. me, Clark, Eisenhower, Braga, uh, Andy Eilis, mm-hmm. um, and then um, you know the rest of the guys were in the van. Mm-hmm. And so, and the yeah, van's okay. parked. The van's parked like on the edge of the property. Yeah, off site. Okay. So that when we had it, we would signal with a. Uh, signal with a flashlight. Okay. Uh, blink, blink. Right. Two blink, come get us. One, one blink is run. Right. Uh, and we had, we had to, we had to tear open the door, take it off its hinges. Right. And we, we, as I recall, we weren't sure what was in it. Um, the door came falling down. We looked in there, shine the flashlight. And there's this scared ass old ghost. <laughs> with blue, blue and uh, yellow horn. So we oh, grabbed yeah. it. You got it. Yeah. you like, blink, it- yeah, blink, blink, van comes. Hold, hold on, so uh, you get it. So it, you yeah. grab this goat. I mean, is a goat like trying to like get away from you? Like you, like you scoop it up. Oh yeah, like, goat's not happy. Right, yeah, goat, goat was not. And an the goat, easy. he didn't just. Right, yeah. he 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 didn't go. Uh, he didn't go um, uh, easily. Right. No, not at all. Yeah. So we throw him in the van, and that I mean, then it gets pretty boring. So we throw him in the van. Well, is he making all kinds of noises and shit? Like he's like like screaming or something, or just like yeah. bah, bah. No, he, yeah, that and thrash, and then he finally settles down. And the back of it, it was a rental van. The back of the van, you know, he's pissed all over himself. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we, we drive, yeah, we drive. As I recall, was now wait, do you have food to feed more. this thing? Like, 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 are you, like, are you guys thinking to have like, yeah, food yeah, how'd and you water? care for it? Yeah, like. Because the goat got sick, we know that too. Like Scott Cumberson want to ask about this. Yeah, yeah. The goat, the goat gets sick during this whole time. But so, hold on. So you got ten people. Were all ten of you in the van with the goat, or where? Where was everybody? No, no, we had a cu- couple cars. Majority are in the van. Majority are in the van. I think we had one or two other cars. All right. Okay. And we drove to one of the the, the cows that was an exchange cadet. So hold, hold, back girlfriend. up. Back up one second. When you guys get this yeah. goat and you throw it in there and you're driving away, what what does that feel like? Like what? Like were you just like I can't believe we just pulled this off? Like like a, a top of the world? Like, what, yeah. what what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah that that was. Uh, I hate, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I mean that was the high point of my cadet career. I mean, of I course. was a very stealing a ordinary, goat. <laughs> lackluster. Uh, somewhat medium below average kind of dude and that was that was my that's the thing i'm most proud of of course and driving off away driving off away from that dairy farm with the goat i felt fantastic because there was probably 20 minutes we were on that dairy farm when i thought we was like shit we don't know where it is we're not going to get it i just couldn't imagine going back after two years of planning and you know the the memory and inspiration of these iconoclastic upperclassmen in my head, like, and then Ted couldn't get it done. Right, yeah. right. Now, Scott Clementson so, yeah, says it's, there's it's a so, video of, yeah. exists a video of the goat being stolen. I think, I don't know if it's of it being, we took a video, like, he's right. There is a video out there. I don't know exactly what the footage is of, because I remember afterwards, Brian Clark and Andy Iowith and I spliced this video together. I don't remember exactly what's on it, but we, I knew that at the time that the, the administration would be 
very motivated to deny both our administration and the Navy Naval Academy. So he wanted to have some evidence. Um, <laughs> Proof of life. But if anyone had a cop, I think, if I think the goat droppings were, were enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, and then so to to fast forward a little bit, so we 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 go to this cow's girlfriend's farm, and that's where the photo you see is taken, and you can tell that's like. Three in the morning, goat's tired, we're tired. But you look at that photo, okay, barn, he's happy. Hey, you know, it's a nice place to hang out as a goat. Right. Um, and I'll get the timeline somewhat wrong, but basically we get back to West Point and the, you know, some of what I wrote in that book is, is accurate. And the exchange cadets are, you know, to be an exchange cadet, as you know, you are, you're a stud. You know, you're, you're top mm-hmm. of the right. class, you know, uh, and potential brigade commander. One or two of them were in the, in the running for brigade commander. Um, and as I recall, one of them was the brigade commander after we had graduated. Um, Omar so Jones. They started feeling the pre- no, he's 90, That's correct. Yeah, Omar yeah. Jones. Yeah. <laughs> that's correct. So, um, you know, they started feeling the heat and they were going to have to give him up. So we had to steal the goat again. Um, and what actually happened, we did not sneak out and go do that. Actually, it's much lamer what really happened. Um, as I recall, we had Andy Isla's parents go drive over there and get him. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so we got some civilians. We got some civilians. <laughs> a, I would have yeah. done that. I mean, so I, Andy's, Andy's, yeah, Andy's yeah. parents helped. And they, I think, and they had it. I think it was even in the newspaper in Newton, New Jersey, um, which we thought was a, a terrible breach of, of security, but then Brian Clark, who was on the team, you know, he was a company commander. Like Brian was a pretty studly cadet. He was the E four company commander. Um, that's right. Oh yeah, so he's so got he a lot of stake. Getting, yeah, he's yeah. gonna have to and face so directly then, with attack. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and the the part about there being a they brought in a major, a, a special forces major, that his job was to find out who had the goat. And so the pressure kept getting ramped up and up, and then it got to the point where Brian was going to, you know, Brian was entering the, hey, guys, I'm going to have to start lying if I'm, or I'm going to have to give us up, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't want to lie. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's when we decided, well, and, and remember, the goal from the beginning was get it to the game. Like right. We had this plan where we were going to, when you know, when they do the uh, exchange of prisoners, right. we You're were going to walk the goat out to the exchange of prisoners, you know, on TV, fortune and glory, you know, beat Navy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we didn't want Brian to be put in a position where he had, you know, where, uh, by the time you get to be seniors, you're, you're a little bit less cavalier with the concept of honor, I think. And so we turned him into the mess hall, which, you know, you may recall was nuts. So you know, <laughs> I remember, uh, what? Go ahead. Well, I mean, so but the goat was the goat sick along the way, or was it? it was that just like I heard he I was? I think that was a panic. I think okay. that was a panic attack. Okay, <laughs> really, because he was healthy. Like, uh, he was happy. It was happy. Okay. He was in, um, by all accounts, you know, right? Carrots so, and sweet sweet potatoes, and he was so, on TV, and so so Annie, I was parents. I remember. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, no, well, Andy Ilo's parents, we, you know, we call them, we're like, hey, gig's up, we're done, bring him on up. So they, they brought him up. Uh, we met him, met Andy's dad, as I recall, yanked the goat out of the truck, 
and met him where? Uh, met him, for the he court. dropped him off like by uh, under uh, under uh, under Max statue, <laughs> like right, right in front of everybody. Right. Waited for uh, the tour to go in, and um, we so we had all of us there. We were in like I think we wore our dress uniforms. Put the leash on him. <laughs> And, you know, ran him in the mess hall. This is so great. And the place beforehand I'd coordinated with, you remember Vinny Torza, our class? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I told Vinny, hey, I'm not, I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. Because he was on the rugby team. Right. And the rugby team sat sat by the, the door to the mess hall. And I said, look, you're going to recognize when it happens. I just need you to form a cordon and not let anybody get to us. He's like, what the fucking talk? Just please, Vinny. Like, all right, all right. So we come running up the steps, and I'll never forget Vinny's like, what? And he just kind of nods at me like, all right. And uh, pulls the whole rugby team out. So the rugby team kind of formed a wedge, um, and we walked the the Navy goat to the to the whatever it's called, the poop deck. Well, the so place erupts. The place erupts, right? And the goat, yeah, the like, the goat, went nuts. <laughs> the goat has, like, a panic attack. The goat, it was like an animal house. Like, you know how, like, the the uh, like the horse dies? You know? Yeah. The goat, like, doesn't know what to do. That's like, exactly what it was like, yeah. He, he collapsed in a puddle of piss, and, like, Andy and, and John Braga had to drag him to the, I think even Scott Clemenson was the guy they handed oh my it to. God. <laughs> um, and the, the one thing I do regret is, for some reason, we we wore we thought that we still had a chance of being anonymous, <laughs> so we all wore masks. Oh my know? god! Uh, well, look at it from I the wish, goats. Look at it from the goats' perspective. You're 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 kidnapped, yeah. and you're surrounded by like ten guys. Right. What do you think that goat's right. thinking? Right. Well, no, so but but I think oh, this terrible. is an important point. So so. So Ted's saying, like he, you wish that you didn't have the mask on because you're you're screwed there. You know that you're going down, right? There's no way you're going to yeah, not get exactly, busted, right? Exactly. So you might as well things. just take like, the hit. I, right? I wish we hadn't run the mask, and I wish we thought to have someone take a photo because there's this iconic photo from the '50s when Eisenhower's president. Mm-hmm. You know, when they with a goat in a mess hall. So anyway, that'd have been nice to to recreate that. But yeah, we 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 ran out. And I just ran, we all ran back to our rooms and waited mm-hmm. <laughs> for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. And I think it took my, you know, our, our tack like 10 minutes to get to our rooms. Like, okay, I'll need a, um, what is it, a held report, you know, to write up what happened. Right. Um, oh, sorry about that. I have so, something here. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. I have something here I want to play for you guys. This is a special on CNN Sports. From 2015, it's called Protecting the Goat, Secrecy and Rivalry, uh, steeped with, uh, I can't read the rest of it, I guess it's a tradition. Let me play this and just just give it a listen. Preparations for the Army-Navy game can be intense. You have the game plan, the playbooks, and the practices, but perhaps one of the most important facets of pregame preparations here in Annapolis has nothing to do with the players, but rather mascots, goats, and more specifically, protecting the goats. There's four of them. Can you tell us where you keep the goats? I can't tell you that. We won't tell anyone. No, Brady can't do that. We don't want Army to come and steal it. Like we know they're not capable. That kid of sounds doing like a dork. Just for precaution. <laughs> so we're talking uh, 
maybe confidential. Actually, I didn't hear anything. Or, or the location. Are you guys back? Above oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold so on. We're, this is a whole separate... Oh, these guys not hearing it? Shit. No, no, they're hearing it. No, they have a guard dog. So there is a guard dog. There is, and he is massive and scary. Do you think if I asked a goat, maybe they would tell me where they're going? You could definitely try, but they've been briefed heavily, and uh, let's just say they probably won't give you anything either. Can you tell us where your hideout is? He's asking the goat. The goat's licking the microphone. Are you aware of the Army's hype video that they released that alludes to an elaborate plot to uh, to steal the goats this year? Confirm the role of Billy the Goat as the head of Navy Spear Group. Does it make you nervous? It does not. Uh, I've seen our security measures, and especially the dog, once again, is I don't think anyone could get past him. Oh, we feel the goat's pretty secure. Uh, not many people know their location, and even if they did, they'd have a hard time stealing them. Fear the goat! Feed the army! There you go. That's well, uh, that's on YouTube. That's a good way to kick off uh, the Army Navy week or coming up to the Army Navy week. So yeah, uh, yeah, that was that, that was that was pretty amazing to, <laughs> that you pulled that off. So now they give it away. They have a dog. So now just bring some sausages with you, and you got that. Uh, the, right, <laughs> right. Everyone's planning. I don't understand the the. I mean, I am curious. Maybe um, some of our classmates know, like the fact that the soup, like it, the soup last year, the soup did it right. So, and how you tell how do you tell cadets not to do it now? Yeah, I mean, but did he actually steal it, or was that just some sort of like hype video? I don't know. They, I I I, I saw the video. Yeah, yeah. I think it seemed like it was a little bit of a made for TV kind of thing. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. wasn't It wasn't as legit as your your heist. That was that was the best. Yeah. Um. So you know, uh, we've got we're kind of wrapping up here. Just a few more minutes, but I'd love to like. That was just a ten more minutes. All right. Well, so uh, so that was that was kind of the pinnacle of your West Point career, right? And, pro- and probably one of the greatest, yeah. obviously one of the greatest memories of your life. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you served ten years or nine years in the uh, in the army. You you qualified to be in the one sixtieth. Um, you were uh, flying Chinooks, and uh, and then you transitioned out. And you know, in the pre-call notes, you mentioned that transitioning was a really tough thing for you, um, as it is for everybody, right? You go from being in the 160th to going to grad school, and suddenly 9/11 kicks off, and we're on the sidelines watching on CNN, right? So that was a tough time for right. you, right? <laughs> yeah, that sucked. Um, and you just said it. You know, you go from being 160th tier one unit um, to and, you know, in the Army, at least, I, I was never in the Army. Well, I got out in 2000, so there was so much training and scenarios. And, um, you know, the 160th was higher speed and uh, a lot cooler, but it was still just a ton of training scenarios. Um, and then 9-11 happens, and you're in grad school, and now all the training scenarios are real, um, and you're sidelined. Yeah, that that sucked for sure. Um, no yeah, two we, ways about it. We were talking about this too, like like, and it, that feeling never goes away, right? Like you're sidelined. You feel yeah. like, you know, I've been trained to do these things, and and you know, because of your own choices, you're not in that situation. Like, did you find yourself regretting your decision to get out of the military? Like, or do you wish you had done anything differently? Like in in hindsight, do you think? Yeah, I think 
regrets a regrets not the word I would use um, because well you know life is linear and, and you make the best decision you can based on the information you have at the time if I'd known line 11 was going to happen I wouldn't have gotten out at that time um, but there was no way to know um, and then the other thing is the fundamental reason that I got out was for me, army aviation had become, uh, you know, not as fulfilling anymore. Cause I don't know how much you know about it, Jamie, but you know, the, there's a, as you know, in, in the army, there's a big disparity between what officers do and what enlisted do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in aviation, it's even, at least when I was in, it was more exaggerated between what the officers do, commission officers, and the warrant officers do. So, you know, the commissioned officer route for me wasn't as fulfilling anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that fundamental, 9-11 notwithstanding, you know, that structure was in place. I had several friends at, at the 160th you know, 03s that, that got out as time went on, uh, even post 9-11, you know, because of that, sort of that situation. So I feel like I'm rambling now. But, no, 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 yeah, you know, I think, I think this is definitely something that I think uh, is a, is a worthwhile discussion because I think that we all, like, I, I have yet to find one of our classmates say, oh yeah, transition was great. Like I just get out and I, I found my, I found, <laughs> like I found myself like, Totally in this like easy spot to be, and I think for for everybody, it's like it's a big transition and it's a big um, change in your life, and and it's about trying to find your tribe again, trying to find your purpose, yeah. trying to find your yeah. connection. And you know, you and I were saying on the pre call, like, you know, I don't know if it ever goes away that 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 sort of um, that that deep. Uh, you know, appreciation that you're missing something, you know, and, um, like, I do think though, I I have a, I have a friend here who was a class of 66 grad. Um, and he said, you know, as you get older, like, cause you tend to always look at your comparison other, like if I were in the military right now, I would be likely, you know, an 05, 06, you know, but like you think of your contemporaries and what they're doing and like what that means. And, and then there, it gets to a point, as he explained to me, is like there are no contemporaries. Every one of your classmates is out, and because at that point it completely goes away. <laughs> so yeah. we're ten years yeah. out. We were ten years out from not from not having that feeling. I think you know, uh, yeah, or more, yeah. maybe eh, maybe twelve years out. So, uh, but anyway, I think it's really important for us to highlight that uh, since we are going to be seeing yeah. a lot of our classmates, you know, going through transitions, and we've all gone through it, and making sure that we're supportive to them and we are their, we are their tribe We're we are supportive of, of, of who they are and what they're doing next. And, um, another, yeah, another for reason sure. for, I think this, this podcast is just to kind of think through those life experiences. And the other thing too, that I'll say about this group, this class of 91, you know, we got some pretty high flyers and some very accomplished people, but I think there's a degree of humility. There's something about crawling through the mud or having to give somebody a dress off or, you know, no one, knowing what somebody looks like when they're down, like there's, there's no, yeah. you know, there's there, yeah. like, there's, there, there's no bullshit about that. Like no matter who you are, you know, there's a level of 
humility that we have with each other, you know, uh, wh- which is, I think, yeah. one of the benefits. Yeah. I mean, this podcast, we got a lot of people that have downloaded this podcast. I'm pretty sure they're all of our, they're all our classmates. And this is a this is a closed page on Facebook, so only our classmates or family members can listen to it. So, the point is, like this is this is a community. Like you will not have lost your tribe. Yeah. We are the tribe, right? And so we can be yeah. we can yeah. be contacted and and uh, you know and that's that's part of the role that we have for each other. I think. No, I think you're absolutely right, and that's why I said at the beginning. I think this podcast is a real. I don't want to embarrass you, dude, but it's a real service for all of us. I really, I, I really appreciate it. I think it's great stuff. It's been a lot of fun doing it, you know. And uh, so, you know, we, what we do- gave you the like? Like what? I know we're almost out of time, but in thirty seconds, like what? What was the kernel of the idea? You said, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a podcast." Well, you know, I have this friend Joe who's uh who has this radio station here and he he does um he hosts a couple different uh radio shows and so I would sit in on those and listen to those and be like, "You know, like where's a community that I'd love to reconnect with?" and and then also connecting it to the the idea of our class gift and our goal. So that was kind of the connection. So I, I was just fortunate that That's I was able great. to be exposed to, you know, somebody that has the the tools here to do it. And, um, and I, ch- I checked out with a few other people like, yeah, you should try that. That might be fun. You, you know, have, have Keenan on cause we all have that experience of him asking, yeah. <laughs> you know, sports scoff for the beer and then yeah. see where it goes. And so this is episode yeah. 11. Um, we've got a couple more episodes. Oh no, this is episode 10 episode 11 is going to be Musso George coming up on December 2nd. And then we're going to finish the year off, uh, December 16th with uh, Colonel Mark Beeger. That's going to be on location up at West Point. Who's the uh, chief of staff there at West Point? I may get one or two others in between there. Um, you know, we're not going to be on for Army Navy weekend, but maybe I'll throw one on there at the last right. minute for Army Navy right. weekend. But um, and any final thoughts from you, Ted? Um, things to uh, close no, out with? Not, I mean, other other than just like I said, I, I appreciate you taking the time to read the book, and same goes for any of our classmates that that take the time to read it. It's really. Uh, I'm honored you do so, and I've I've had a great time, Joe. Thank you for making this possible. Um, good stuff. Oh, be no. Navy, go naked. Yeah, no problem. Um, just uh, let the listeners know where they can pick up a copy of your book or the ebook version. Easiest way. Oh to yeah, obtain. Amazon. Easiest way is Amazon. Um, both hard copy and the ebook available. It makes a great Christmas gift, and. Uh, I should say that anyone that wants a signed copy, I've done this, uh, the, sort of the system that's evolved, just order it and send it to me. Email me. I'll send you my my uh, address. And, um, you know, a couple, many of our classmates, they've done that. I sign it for whoever it's for, and then I mail it back to them. So yeah. I'm, I'd be happy to do that. Hey, are you going to Army-Navy? No, I'm not going to make it this year, uh, unfortunately. Too but, bad. Yeah. Are, you, are you going to make it? I'm I'm going to be there for sure. Yeah, I, I try to make it every year. That's great. I saw some somebody yeah. somebody posted like well, there's something where you, you say who's going. We we usually have a pretty good showing, so hopefully we'll get a get the hook up at a oh, yeah. at a oh, tailgate yeah. or something, and that would be that that would be dynamite. Um, Ted, thank you so much for being on this podcast tonight. It's been awesome. Thank you for writing the book Spirit Mission. It was a wonderful thing to listen to and to because I listened to the audio book, but also to read. Um, you're you're doing great things, and I appreciate uh, everything. So, and with that, we'll close out with uh, duty shall be done. 
Ted, just hold on one, right. one second as we wrap up. We'll be right back with you. Ladies and gentlemen, you can visit the following web address to download the podcast, it's which on, is on Podbean, and then you do a search for Old Grad Podcast. You'll find it on Podbean. All right, we'll see you next time right here on the Old Grad Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast.